0: midday on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to the program and welcome back to the uh, real world after your holiday weekend. Hope you had a good one. And we do plunge right into headlines that will tell us the real world has gone on whether we're here or not, I guess. And uh, we're going to turn it over to Susan Littlefield, our Esteemed uh, our Ag Director, and uh, first on the agenda today is that tax reform that's trying to make its way through the Nebraska legislature, Susan.
1: Very much so. You can hear more about that coming up at 1219. LB 947, bringing a little discussion on the pros and the cons. Both sides of the fence are talking, and it's split agriculture a little bit as well. So we'll have more about that at 1219. Uh, coming up at 1245, Stephen Cook joins us. He deals bees and specifically focuses on bee diseases. Now, he's based out on the East Coast, but he's working with UNL and a variety of other different um, entities across the nation and the world as they focus on some bee disease and the varro-mites. He is heading up a million-dollar grant And so they're trying to find ways to protect these bees. So we'll have more at that at 1245. Then at 117, John Mayberger talks with the NRCS about the contract renewals. Part two of an interview with Clay Patton from earlier last week.
0: All right. Very good. We'll let you get back to it. Thank you very much, Susan and Jason Jorgensen on sports.
2: Final four in the NCAA tournament in the men's basketball season wraps up tonight in San Antonio. Is Villanova. And Michigan, square off for the title. Yeah, Villanova was amazing on Saturday, knocking down 18 three-pointers as they blew out Kansas. Yeah. When was the last time you saw the Jayhawks handle like that? this deep in the tournament. It's been a while. Not
0: often, but you know, when, if you're going to peak, you're going to peak.
2: Yeah, and Villanova was peaking on Saturday night. and Of course, Michigan's been on quite a run for quite a while, so we'll preview that big matchup. Now, the men's game probably will have a tough time... Living up to the drama we saw in the women's game yesterday as Notre Dame rallied from 15 down, hit a three-pointer, last-second three-pointer to bump off Mississippi State. Also coming up in sports, we'll talk some baseball. The Huskers continue to struggle. Yesterday they were beaten on the road by Ohio State, 15-14. to 14. Pitching staff surrendered 22 hits. They had 19. That's tough when you have 19 hits in a game and you don't win. Yeah. Huskers now at the... Uh, 14-14, and 14 Mark. They are scheduled to have a game tomorrow with Omaha. I don't know if that will happen. Not, the, oh, not the, much hope for that one. They've um, already canceled the softball game between those two schools, so I would think the baseball game wouldn't happen either, but yeah. we'll see. Well,
0: you know, any if I could just put in my own word here, any advance planning on that on behalf of the <laughs> athletic staff would be very helpful.
2: Yeah, especially for us radio affiliates. <laughs> Who, uh, have to do some juggling and some jostling this time of year when it comes to college baseball. You know, We can
0: elbow them in a little better. We can elbow them out sometimes. Bob Brogan is here with some business. Stocks are falling sharply on Wall
3: Street after China raised import duties on U.S. pork, apples and other products. Tesla took a shot to the grill after the involvement in a crash last week in California. Um, in other action. The Supreme Court is weighing in on an overtime case involving car dealerships. So those are some of the stories making headlines today.
0: Thank you very much, Bob. Thanks everyone for joining us today. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Really? All right, let's bring in Paul Perkins. Welcome him back to our weather microphone here with our ag weather, brought to you by Coolman Repair. So where'd you disappear to?
4: <laughs> Just took it easy. Did I had you? a staycation. Did you stay? It's some deep cleaning at home, garage, you name it, around the house. Oh, that sounds like
0: <laughs> such fun. Yeah, That's it was exactly what you
4: needed. And I didn't. And I didn't get up early in the morning. So, <laughs> uh,
5: yes,
0: that is the bonus that comes with it. But then that also means that on Monday. Yeah,
4: The cycle back, yeah, <laughs> the adjustment.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, we've got to, and I guess we need to go, attention, westerly listeners, uh, you are uh, about to get some information about a very windy situation on the way.
4: Exactly. High wind watch going into effect this evening through tomorrow for southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, and northeast Colorado. In southwest Nebraska, it's basically along and southwest of line from Ogallala to McCook, and in northwest Kansas, that high wind watch from Norton and points to the south and west, and then all of northeast Colorado in this high wind watch. It's already a high wind warning this evening until 6 tomorrow morning for the southern panhandle. We are looking at peak wind gusts there out of the northwest at 40 to 55, gusting up to 65. So we could see wind gusts to 65 over southwestern locations. Central and eastern areas also expected to see a lot of wind with this system gusting into the 40s for tomorrow. But... Just that high wind watch right now over the southwestern locations looks like our strongest winds expected between midnight tonight and noon tomorrow. Now, it was after a snowy weekend this weekend. Yesterday, 7 to 8 inches around the Minden area with that storm system. A lot of us getting about 3 to 5 inches. And then, especially right along I-80 and the Platte River. And then towards Carlton, Nebraska, and Thayer County, they got 11 inches of snow. Right. Wow. <laughs> But we do have temperatures, for the most part, in Nebraska in the upper 20s to the low 30s. Towards those non-snow-covered areas of northwest Nebraska and north-central Nebraska, we're in the upper 30s to low 40s. And we do have some upper 30s to mid-40s over much of northern Kansas. Some temperatures already into the low 60s over northeast Colorado. It's warmer today thanks to a warm front lifting north, but it's also being offset by some stronger south winds increasing today as we sit between high pressure off towards our east and low pressure, getting stronger to our west. That area below pressure and a strong cold front dropping southeast tonight and tomorrow. Rain and snow once again possible. If we do see any snowfall accumulations, it's going to be less than an inch. Winds will be strong out of the north with this system. That's going to be the main thing that we'll notice. Winds gusting to near 60 and 65 over the west and southwest. Tonight and tomorrow, once again, one of those high wind advisories are posted. Those winds will start to drop off tomorrow night into Wednesday as high pressure builds south. Temperatures seasonably mild for Wednesday and Thursday, but then we turn colder and more rain and snow chances are on the way for Thursday night into the weekend as a series of systems track southeast through the region. Our soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the low to mid-30s in Nebraska. Kansas soil temperatures just a notch better in the mid to upper 30s so definitely not ideal planning conditions just yet in the long term those soil temperatures not expected to warm up anytime soon the likelihood of colder than normal temperatures remains in nebraska and kansas this weekend all the way through april 15th now western nebraska and kansas and southwest nebraska those temperatures a little closer to seasonal by the 15th near normal to below normal precipitation in the outlook in both nebraska and kansas this weekend through the 15th, so at least we have been getting some decent moisture. Now, in the markets, key weather factors include a wet and cold pattern leading to more Midwest fieldwork disruption and persistent drought in the Southern Plains. A new storm emerging out of the West will cross the Central Plains tomorrow and reach the Northeast U.S. by midweek. This system that's bringing Nebraska and Kansas a lot of wind is going to bring a lot of snow up into South Dakota towards the Great Lakes. A steady procession of storms will maintain cool And unsettled weather from the mid-south into the northeast across the delta. Saturated soils, especially after heavy rains late last week, are disrupting the corn planting. Additional near to above normal rain expected in the next week to 10 days. Crop ratings remain poor from drought, though. In much of the southern plains wheat areas, once again, no significant precipitation expected the next 10 days in most of those southern plains wheat areas. Argentina saw heavier than expected rain this weekend, especially over northern Buenos Aires and southern Santa Fe. That's going to help stabilize crop conditions in northern Buenos Aires after recent dryness. In China, a recent drier trend in northern areas of the wheat uh, will bear some watching. That wheat currently, though, in good condition.
0: Your ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair, and uh, I'll tell you what. With uh, this, what's coming up here, we need to probably alert anybody in a light or high-profile vehicle to be very aware of that as you're getting into tonight.
4: Yes, exactly. Because uh, uh, we've seen cases when we've had some wind gust into the fifties earlier, uh, you know, in the last few weeks here, where you know, empty semis were blown over because of these strong winds but so yeah definitely look out for these high wind gusts once again could see wind gusts to 60 to 65 southwest nebraska northwest kansas northeast colorado and the southern Panhandle. and also expecting strong wind gusts across the rest of the area not just this but they won't be as strong across the central and east tomorrow and also starting later tonight
0: all right we'll keep you updated with the latest when you need weather anytime krvn.com
6: Get a face-to-face with USTR negotiator. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now here on the World Radio Network as we take a quick check of your midday ag news. The U.S. Trade Representative's new chief agricultural negotiator opened his doors on Friday to major agriculture industry groups. Greg Dowd invited them in for meetings to discuss priorities and concerns about the North America free trade talks and other trade negotiations. Farm groups representing commodity producers and agricultural processing associations likely expressed a lot of fears that tariffs against China and other countries will only invite punishing retaliation that would seriously hurt U.S. exporters. Dowd met with commodity groups in one meeting and agricultural processors in the other. An industry observer told Politico that if I were Greg Dowd, I would certainly want to say I'd given all those groups an opportunity to air their concerns and hear directly from him before he was put into the mix of having to make some pretty important decisions. The ag industry's public campaign against President Trump's trade decisions has frustrated U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, who says he's tired of it. He adds that the industry efforts have been unhelpful to the administration's trade agenda, sources told Politico. And every growing season, agronomists play a vital role in providing expertise and support for farmers. Susan Littlefield has more. Farmers can
1: show their appreciation for their agronomic support teams during Agronomy Week that is celebrated now through the 6th. Pete Unbrock, is as DeKalb, Asgra, and Deltapine brand lead, notes that the Agronomy Week was created as an industry-wide celebration.
7: We're excited to partner
3: with Clint Boyer of the number 14 car again this year to celebrate Agronomy Week. Whether it's on the track or in the field, performance really relies on the team you build around you to deliver those results. And so from April 2nd to April 6th, We're going to give growers the opportunity to recognize that support crew, their local agronomists, their local seed dealers, by nominating those folks at agronomyweek.com or by following us on Facebook or Twitter.
1: Agronomy Week is open to all farmers,
6: no matter what seed they purchase. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And again, to nominate your agronomist, you can go to agronomyweek.com. Another ag news openings are available for one on one confidential farm finance and ag law consultations being conducted across the state in April. An experienced ag law attorney and ag financial counselor will be available to address farm and ranch is- issues related to financial planning, estate and transition planning, farm loan programs, debtor creditor law water rights, and other relevant matters. The clinics offer an opportunity to seek an experienced outside opinion on issues affecting your farm or ranch. To sign up for a free clinic or to get more information, you can call Michelle at the Nebraska Farm Hotline. Clinic dates for April include Grand Island, Thursday, April 5th, Fairbury, Thursday, April 5th as well, Norfolk, Tuesday, April 10th, North Platte, Thursday, April 12th, Lexington, Thursday, April 19th, and Valentine, Wednesday, April 29th. More on that at ruralradio.com. And finally, an Arkansas judge has authorized six farmers who challenged a ban on the in-crop use of dicamba to spray the herbicide on their crops this summer while their colleagues remain under a statewide ban on its use. Farmers had sued the state plant board in November for banning the use of dicamba from April 16th through October 31st. Pulaski County Circuit Judge Tim Fox on Friday dismissed the lawsuit citing the state's sovereign immunity. But Fox says that the farmers' rights to due process and their right to appeal the plant board's ban on dicamba had been curtailed. Arkansas enacted the ban after receiving nearly 1,000 complaints last year about the weed killer drifting onto fields and damaging crops not resistant to the herbicide. You're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. LB-947
3: is expected to start debate today in the Unicameral. Of course, LB-947, the property tax bill championed by Governor Ricketts. What does it mean for ag landowners? We find out on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to talk about this, Steve Nelson, President of Nebraska Farm Bureau. And Steve, talk to us about what the benefits of LB-947, if passed and made law, what the benefits are to ag landowners and ag producers.
8: First of all, LB-947 uh, maintains the existing property tax credit fund, and so not only does that help farmers, ranchers, home owners, it also helps commercial property owners. So that remains. And then new about in LB-947 would be a phased-in property tax credit on your income tax, and uh, that would begin at 2%. It's retroactive to the beginning of 2018, and then would add an additional two percentage points uh, each year for the for 10 years. So moving that to 20%, so it would get us to over 20% reduction in property taxes or relief on on property taxes over that period of time. So it, it, it's a significant amount of money.
3: Now, there have been some that have voiced opinions saying that LB 947 doesn't deliver enough immediate tax relief, that it's too stretched out too long. Overall, what is Farm Bureau's take on that?
8: I agree with those concerns. and We wish that the relief were, were more immediate, and obviously we can make a really strong argument that, that the relief should be greater. But uh, the realities are that that in order for a bill to pass it needs to get 33 votes in order to stop cloture. And well, this is certainly the bill that is before the legislature now. It's the one being discussed. It has the greatest likelihood of, of uh, being discussed and, and uh, having the opportunity to be passed. And so we think it's important to, to take this, uh, again, as a significant step towards uh, property tax relief.
3: If LB947 passes, Steve, what effect will this have on the ballot initiative coming up?
8: Well, what we have said is that if LB947 passes, we will focus our efforts on the the real crux of the problem, which is how we fund schools in the state of Nebraska and the fact that we we rely far too much on the on property to pay for schools and the cost of funding schools in the state of Nebraska. So we would focus our efforts on on changing that as we move forward, and certainly very important discussions, and and something that needs to happen. The efforts to to continue with the ballot initiative continue. Uh, signatures are being collected as we speak, and we're strongly supportive of the ballot initiative. Uh, again, with with uh, the idea being that we would rather solve this in the legislature in 947 gives us again an opportunity to start that in the right direction if that's not if we're unable to get that if it's that's unable to to take place then our fallback position or where you know our only alternative really is to go to the people and go to the ballot but but again at this point our our number one focus would be to to pass LB 947 and get us started towards some uh, real property tax relief to give us then time to concentrate on on how we fund schools in the state of nebraska
3: that again steve nelson president of nebraska farm bureau talking about lb 947 the property tax bill in the nebraska unicameral legislature keep listening to the rural radio network
0: you're listening to midday on the rural radio network and it's time now to check sports with jason jorgensen
2: Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, college basketball's wild ride ends in San Antonio tonight where Villanova meets up with Michigan in the national title game. The Wildcats are playing for their second title in three years under Coach Jay Wright. The Wolverines are vying for their first title since 1989 and to make up for the one Coach John Beeline lost in 2013. The meeting tonight could come down to strength against strength. Villanova is one of the greatest three-point shooting teams in college basketball history, breaking season and NCAA tournament records. They blasted Kansas in the national semifinals on Saturday night, hitting a record 18 from behind the arc. And Beeline talks about trying to defend that strength of Villanova's offense.
4: And this is sort of a, the idea that some teams—that's what they do. Um, and you—you uh, you got a certain every coach in every sport. You're trying to take away what other people do, and we—we we have a. We have sort of a plan for that that I won't share, but we have. Not, I'm not talking about Villanova over the year. We, try, we have some different analytical columns that we try to fill to make sure that we are on the best way the numbers say that we can beat a team.
2: The Wolverines rode their defense into the title game. They're also the nation's third most efficient team on defense and one of the best at defending the three-point line. Tip-off tonight in San Antonio is set for 8.20 Central Time. Well, Notre Dame certainly provided a thrilling end to the women's NCAA tournament. They rallied from 15 down in the second half to knock off Mississippi State with a last-second three-pointer 61-58. It's Notre Dame's first national title since winning it all back in 2001. Husker football team is getting set for another week of spring practice, and new defensive coordinator Eric Chenander sees a team that wants to get better. I
8: don't don't think 4 and eight's where anybody wanted Nebraska football at, and I don't think these kids came here for, for that. So I think there's a sense of urgency to do it the right way, to be held accountable, to get this thing back where it needs to
2: be so yeah i definitely think there's a sense of urgency from the whole team the huskies are scheduled to work out again tomorrow and it continues to be a struggle for the husker baseball team yesterday they lost at ohio state 15 to 14 despite an offense that produced 19 hits that loss leaves the Huskers at 14-14 and 14 overall, just 2-4 and four in Big Ten action. Now, the Huskers were scheduled to take on Omaha tomorrow night, but that game has been postponed. Also, Nebraska's softball game with Omaha tomorrow, that's been canceled as well. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
9: It'll be mostly cloudy tonight in Nebraska with a chance of rain through the night and a chance of snow. I'm Dave Schroeder. Petitions are now ready for a ballot measure that would let voters decide whether to expand Medicaid coverage to an estimated 90,000 low-income people in Nebraska. The Insurer the Good Life campaign announced today that the Nebraska Secretary of State's office has finalized language for the ballot initiative. The campaign needs to gather around 85,000 signatures by July 6th to place the measure on the November general election ballot. Organizers say they're seeking volunteers to help gather signatures. Nebraska is seeking to join 32 other states and the District of Columbia in expanding Medicaid as part of the Affordable Care Act. Idaho, Montana, and Utah are currently in the midst of similar ballot initiatives, and Maine passed one last year. An 84-year-old woman died after her vehicle collided with a pickup truck on a weather-worsened roadway just outside of Grand Island. The woman lost control of her vehicle yesterday morning on U.S. Highway 30 on the northeast side of Grand Island. The woman's been identified as Ramona Sinkbile, who lived in Grand Island. It's unclear whether the pickup driver was injured. The University of Nebraska at Omaha will be hosting a 48-hour cybersecurity hackathon this coming weekend. Participants will form teams to create and pitch proposals about enhancing the cybersecurity of physical systems to a panel of judges, including military officials from U.S. Strategic Command. Teams will compete for $15,000 in prizes and the opportunity to pursue their plan with mentorship from MD5, a technology accelerator program launched by the Department of Defense and several universities. Robin Gandy is an associate professor of cybersecurity helping coordinate the hackathon. He says cybersecurity of physical systems is a growing field now that computers have linked up systems originally designed to stand alone. He says companies and military installations face issues with networks vulnerable to hacking. A renewable energy company stymied in its quest to build one of the United States' longest power lines has turned to Missouri's former governor to try to revive its project. Jay Nixon is to argue tomorrow to the Missouri Supreme Court that utility regulators he appointed wrongly rejected the power line while relying on an incorrect ruling from a judge whom Nixon also appointed. Houston-based Clean Line Energy Partners wants to build a line from Kansas, across Missouri, and Illinois to Indiana. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
1: Research across the nation to help out bees. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Agricultural Research Service entomologist Stephen Cook will be a lead of a million-dollar funded international consortium of scientists to seek new controls for the varromites, honeybee's number one problem.
7: We applied for a grant through the Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research, or FFAR. It's uh, loosely, it's not really federal, but it has a federal component, I guess, but it's mostly... Uh, funded by contributions from various stakeholder groups, corporations, um, other foundations, et cetera. And they put a, they had a, um, a call for pollinator health grants and we put in a pre-proposal for that, for that. And, um, we're subsequently invited to put in a full proposal, which we did and, um, were granted, um, funding to do our research. This project, the ultimate goal of this project is to develop and confirm compounds for registration and licensing for beekeeper use. And these are varroa sites. So to try to combat varroa mites, which are ectoparasites of honeybees. And one of the major uh, causative factors of poor performing poor performance of honeybee colonies um, throughout the world, in fact. So uh, the problem with Varroa is they become resistant to many of the commercial miticides that are available. So um, products that have the active ingredient kumaphos, which is an organophosphate, um, also the active ingredient uh, Fluvalinate or Tau which is a pyrethroid. And uh, there's another one, Amitraz, which is uh um type compound and they've the last one amitraz there still seems to be it still seems to be pretty effective but there are pockets of areas that are now showing uh varroa resistance to even that compound so beekeepers are worried you know that their options are becoming fewer and fewer and the problem with varroa just continues to grow so this grant uh brought together six different labs uh, let's see, there's a lab up in Alberta, Canada. There's a lab at the University of Nebraska. There's the Ohio a lab at the Ohio State University. There's Auburn University, University of Georgia, and Beltsville, Maryland. Here at ARS, as well as um, a lab over in the University of Valencia in Spain. And we have three different groups. The first group is has the objective. To use laboratory trials to screen dozens of Canada compounds and assess their efficacy against boromites and also the safety for bees. Are the screening teams and they're located here in Beltsville, Ohio, and Canada. The second group, um, team is, uh, going to take these compounds that we vetted through the uh, laboratory trials. And we're going to, um, take those compounds that show promise and run field trials using them in um whole, whole honeybee colonies and those teams are going to be located here in beltsville um in georgia and up in canada as well and maybe we'll have a somebody in in the southwest that we can tie into as well and the idea with having both the uh, screening teams as well as the, the field teams in different regions is that um, varroa has some geographical variation in their uh, resistance to these compounds so we want to get that we want to capture that uh, genetic variability um, by doing these screenings and tests in different regions. And the third team um, has the objective of to elucidate the molecular mechanisms that confer mice resistance to current varrocytes and also to help inform our decisions um, on which chemicals we should move forward with. And they would help us inform these decisions by the, with our knowledge of uh, how varroa has gained resistance to some of these other chemicals. So we're not going to be testing chemicals to have the same mode of action as some of the chemicals that bro has already shown resistance towards. Um, so in uh, together, we're hoping that um, we can screen a bunch of compounds, vet them both in laboratory and field trials, and then um, using our, um, the team that's looking at the resistance to kind of get a resistance breaking suite of chemical compounds that could be useful to be used by beekeepers against burrow mites.
1: What is your timeframe as you look at the three different areas that are coming together in the research?
7: So it's a three-year grant and the first two years, well, first year um, will be dedicated to screening compounds in laboratory trials. So hopefully we'll get a bunch of them screened, have a handful of those um, that pass the tests i guess for decision tree and we have uh different measurements on how they affect bees as well as their efficacy against varomites those compounds that look really promising we'll take them into the lab trials in year two and in year three
1: with the hope he said of using compounds from years one and two in years three's trial talk of bee disease with stephen cook i'm susan littlefield on the rural radio network
10: Next, let's review this livestock futures trade with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe?
11: Yeah, pretty much a red day today in the uh, livestock futures. Uh, a lot of triple-digit losses and some limit downs in the hogs. So uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of real good news to talk about today, but uh, uh, starting on the cattle, uh, try tried to... Tried to uh, bounce around uh, back and forth over uh, unchanged until here in the end and uh, then came under some pretty good selling pressure basically in the front end. Uh, A lot of fear uh, that the uh, uh, Chinese uh, uh, tariffs will uh, eventually pull over into the beef and uh, uh, that put a lot of pressure on given uh, the fact that the uh, cutouts again were lower today. Uh haven't heard of any real trade today but uh sure a lot of talk about uh lower money. So uh that uh continued to weigh on the market and the markets are uh well oversold but uh uh until we get the uh, fundamentals back in line uh, I think it's gonna it could continue. Now we could see some uh recovery every once in a while, but uh until things uh the fundamentals change looks like uh uh, defensive type action over in the hogs limit down in the uh, may and june contracts and then uh, over two dollars lower uh, through october uh, obviously the uh, tariffs against the pork uh, uh, really weighing on the market the uh, uh, cutouts at noon uh, didn't really matter what they did hardly any uh, trade at all so yeah, bad day i
10: Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
3: We continue our conversation on the CSP or conservation stewardship practices right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to continue the conversation, John Mayberger, director of the CSP program for Nebraska NRCS. And John, before we get started diving into what producers need to do to re-up these contracts and if it's affected by the next farm bill, let's get a brief overview of what the CSP contract is and how it got started.
5: CSP began as a conservation security program in 2004, and its purpose was basically to reward good conservation stewardship producers had been doing, as well as to give them incentives to do additional work onto their operation. Uh, Back then, it was only offered on individual watersheds uh, each year. But then in 2008, with the new Farm Bill, uh, they changed it over to the Conservation Stewardship Program, which was offered um, clear across the state nationwide every year. And it has a similar purpose in providing rewards for those who are doing good stewardship, uh, but it had a greater emphasis on the additional activities uh, to take conservation to a higher level.
3: John, in the USDA news release that listeners can look at at RuralRadio.com, it says producers with CSP contracts expiring in 2018 are eligible for another five years if they agree to adopt additional activities to achieve higher levels of conservation on their lands. What additional activities is NRCS looking for to require for these producers?
5: Okay, well, this would be for contracts that are expiring this year, and all CSP contracts are five-year duration. And so the ones that expire at the end of uh, 2018 are eligible to apply for renewals, and that deadline is coming up uh, uh, in the 13th of April. But with that, uh, when a producer reapplies for the renewal, uh, we're looking at specifically addressing five targeted resource concerns. Uh, we're looking at ten total resource concerns, but five of them in particular, uh, the renewal applicant must address through the application of practices or activities. Uh, we're looking at uh, soil erosion, water quality, livestock production limitations, fish and wildlife habitat, as well as degraded plant condition. So those would be our five targeted resource concerns that the new applicant would need to address through additional activities scheduled into their contracts.
3: And John, of course, the question I'm sure on a lot of producers' minds when it comes to NRCS and many other programs that they can be eligible for for their land, their products, and their programs uh, is the upcoming Farm Bill. Of course, that mandates a lot of these type of programs. Do you have any insight going into the 2018 Farm Bill about the CSP program and its future?
5: Well, Clay, uh, all I can really tell you um, from my perspective here is that 2018 has been fully funded, so we'll have a full sign-up uh, with all, all the uh, applications uh, being approved that we would have uh, as in any other year. But as far as the upcoming farm bill, I really can't uh, delve into that. Uh, that would be up to the Congress and the Senate to, um, to handle that situation.
3: That's John Mayberger. He's the NRCS CSP Program Manager for the state of Nebraska. We're talking about the CSP, or Conservation Stewardship Program. Again, producers that are running out on their five-year contract are now eligible for renewal. So talk to your NRCS office to find out more information. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
10: Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Quite a day on the grains trade today as we opened higher, but things changed, didn't they?
12: Yeah, not not a great day all all together. If you just looked at it from 10,000 feet, but if you really got into it and watched the rest of these macro markets trade, the fact the corn closed green on the front of the curve, um, you know, is is a good sign. you know, considering that we're seeing a washout in a lot, lot of markets right now, and I think you got some jitters back on with the Chinese tariff trade and, uh, you know, just profit taking, I think, from Friday combined with, uh, just some outlook here that, uh, you know, it's in the case of soybeans, that so we might get some more acres due to, to planning delays for corn, so. Short term years, we enter, enter April. I don't think a whole lot's changed from Friday, but uh, I'm in a break buying mood. I think this will give you some opportunity here to get long, uh, especially the corn market if you, you catch a little bit of a, a further break on, say, the September below four bucks.
10: The soft red winter wheat spread with corn is continuing to narrow. That usually means feed wheat, doesn't it?
12: Yeah, and you are gonna lose some of that, but I, I still don't think that's an issue at this point. You know, there's plenty of corn out there, and I think that was the maybe got lost in the report on Friday was how big the grain stocks were. Um, you know, we went a lot of times. You can look at the corn curve, and this is the delivery points on the curve. Um, you know, we we basically have gotten sideways, uh, meaning we're above or inverted. Uh, we're above December 19 with December 18, but then for the rest of this current year, we're very actually very well spread between the summer months and the deferred contracts so it's um you know one of those things in the market right now that has i think a lot of guys confused they want to be bullish but in the short term there's just not a whole lot to to be bullish about and on on what's in the field
10: so how much did the outside markets influence the grains trade today
12: well i think especially the soybean side it influenced it quite a bit um you know, from the standpoint of, of corn, I think just closing unchanged, considering we were up three to four last night, beans were up ten. I think that's really what leaned on the market. Uh, the dollar was, was a little stronger as well, uh, and some of these, you know, more, Outside market currencies, so to speak. So, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm trying not to get too bearish here on these breaks. The macro is going to do its thing. We're seeing corrections for the first time in a couple of years in some of these outside markets. I think for me, in the short run, it just, it's just, it's it's still a buy. Nothing's changed.
10: Right. And it's the first day of a trading week as well and month. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And if you want more information, go to danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network.